You're listening to the Big Cast C-Suite Edition, your source for leadership insights and inspiration with John Jan Clays. This episode of C-Suite Interviews is made possible by the generous support of Kony, a leader in enterprise mobility and applications to drive digital transformation. Hi, everyone. John here. Welcome to October's edition of C-Suite Interviews. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to meet Tony Patel, the president and CEO of CEU Direct. During my conversation with Tony, we talked about issues that are going to impact the landscape for consumer lending, particularly auto lending, and how electrical and autonomous vehicles are shaping up on the horizon, along with the shared economy. Also during our discussions, Tony shared his thoughts about his new innovation lab that he's created in Irvine, California. Already some 75 credit unions have met with his team there to do innovation on new ways to explore auto lending. Also during our discussion, we talked about his reflections on leadership, beginning with his first role at the Colorado Credit Union League before moving on to the California Credit Union League, then CUNA Mutual, before finally assuming his role as CEO at CU Direct Corporation, where he's built a network of over a 1,000 credit unions that represent 45,000 members and over 13,000 auto dealers. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. So without any further delay, here's my interview with Tony Patel. Hey, Tony. Welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Yeah. Hey, thanks for taking time to um, spend time with our listeners. You've got a tremendous professional journey that we could all learn from, but also we want to hear about what CU Direct is up to. So maybe that's a good place to start. If you don't mind, uh, tell us a little bit about your professional journey. I had forgotten, Tony that you had actually spent time at the Colorado Credit Union League and CUNA Mutual before coming to CU Direct. So tell our listeners a little bit about that that leadership journey, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, uh, I you know, like you maybe and maybe many others, I, I had no idea I'd be in the credit union business. How about you? Did you yeah. think so? Uh, no, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota, went to University of Wisconsin, and I thought moving to Colorado, I had a degree in real estate and and marketing, and I thought I was going to be a commercial real estate guy. Well, I ended up, you know, a, a high school, it was 37% uh, you know, vacancy for the commercial business at that time in 1984. So I ended up uh, through a friend uh, getting a job at the Colorado Credit Union League with CUNY Mutual to do investments uh, for credit union members in their lobbies. You know, you know what you do today with uh, with your broker dealer. Yeah. And that was the very first uh, kind of group that was doing this. And uh, so I worked there for, you know, about three years and uh uh, learned a lot and got all my, you know, designations and, you know, for investing, uh, you know, our series seven and all that kind of stuff and CFP, uh, certified financial planner. But then, uh, the California league, uh, we were all collaborating like creditians like to do. Right. So we were all collaborating through different leagues and, and how we were invest or setting up these investment programs and credit unions. And CUNY mutual was sort of the parent of all this. They were the ones that were driving it. And, uh, the California league asked if I'd come work for them and set their investment programs up. So I went there in 1987 and did that. And then uh, CUNY Mutual uh, continued to invest in this program. And they asked me to be the regional vice president for CUNY Mutual uh, in 1991 and went to their organization, stayed in California, but worked for CUNY Mutual for about three years. And then they had one of their many reorganizations, you know, at uh, CUNY Mutual. And I, I uh, decided to, uh, 
go back to the California League. Dave Chatfield had just taken over there, and that's when I uh, started back there in 1994. And they asked me to take a look at uh, running the service corp, help creditors make more auto loans. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went, went and uh, started researching that, and that's how I came across Golden One and decided to uh, uh, partner with them, with the California League, to start uh, CU Direct at the end of 1994. I, I never thought I would be in credit unions. It's just been it's been a great journey, and I really have uh, enjoyed it, learned a lot, and uh, really thought I was going to be some you know real estate uh, guy in the commercial side. <laughs> well, you, you and I have two things in common. I didn't know I was going to be in the credit union or financial services. I thought I wanted to be a litigator. You know, <laughs> and, and the other thing was that um, uh, we have in common is I also too Series Seven and in insurance licenses and kind of yeah. you know worked in that realm of the business, which is a great way to get introduced to what consumers need in financial services. Um, right now, CU Direct has over a thousand credit unions and over thirteen thousand dealers. Tony, what was it when you started? Do you remember how, how many how many credit unions and dealers? Yeah, it was it was zero. Oh, no, actually, it really wasn't zero. I mean, so when we started this with the California Credit Union League, I was, again, Service Corp VP at the time. We partnered with the Golden One Credit Union. They had started this thing. They called it DDL, Dealer Direct Lending. And it was really the Golden One with Patelco and I think Schools Financial and maybe Safe that had started it. And uh, they had just a few dealers, maybe a handful of dealers around Sacramento. And then we came in and uh, started the corporation, CU Direct. And uh, and then everything kind of grew up from there. So it really was just a handful of dealers and a few credit unions. And I do can tell you that uh, at the time, Golden One Credit Union was doing about a half million dollars a month in indirect loans. They were doing they were actually all they were doing was getting a fax back from the dealer or a fax over to the dealer saying that this member's approved once they put in an application. But the members still had to come back to the to the uh, credit union to finish the deal. And they were doing about 500000 a month. Today, they do over $200 million a month in indirect loans, uh, Golden One Credit Union does by themselves. So again, that's how much they've they've grown through the years. Yeah. It's pretty, the, pretty substantial. The last meeting you and I attended together, I believe you gave an update that um, CU Direct number one, right, in, in auto lending in the United States. Congratulations yeah. on that. What an arc of uh, growth that you've been along for the whole ride. So thinking about where do we go from here? Kind of what's the mission? What are you focused on? Where are you driving? See you direct now. Well, you know, we we really, in a nutshell, really want to uh, help credit unions increase their loans and improve their efficiencies. I mean, that we're a lending technology organization, and and our our focus really going forward is to continue down that path. I mean, number one, we want to connect credit unions to more loan and member opportunities. And, you know, we do that today through dealers, but we want to, you know, we've got a pilot going right now with LendingTree. There's a lot of different ways that members are getting loans, primarily on the web at different websites. So we're, we're really uh, working with a lot of those different companies today to try to connect in and, and at least get them uh, approved maybe on because uh, you still have to go to the dealers to get the cars and then have the transaction end at the uh, dealership. But other opportunities, too. I mean, it, we're, we're really all kinds of types of lending. Uh, we really want to help Grenians create a better member experience. So we're, we're doing a lot of work around how do we make our software easier to use? How do we make that member experience better? Uh, that credit and experience and dealer experience is, you know, right there, too. Uh, the third thing is really to you know drive that efficiency. So taking the back office of the credit union today and the workflow that we have, 
you know, how do we make that a little more efficient? How do we, you know, cut the costs of, of credits and automate more of the processing? So we're doing a lot of that. And the last thing that we're doing with some of our subsidiaries is we're really, we have an insurance subsidiary. So we, we're protecting members uh, through different insurance products. Now we have warranties and gap and things like that and generating fee income for credit unions too. So those are really the key things that we're focused on. Hearing a lot of innovation over the arc of your career, even particularly what you're doing now. So in the innovation space, a lot of people are talking about analytics. I know that you've got some investments in, in lending insights and, and there, maybe explain to our listeners what that is and, and uh, what are you trying to deliver with that, that program? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, as you and I talked a little before the interview here that, that, Data is such a big part of how credit unions need to, you know, start capturing and being able to really create more of applied analytic decisions on things in a, in a much broader way. I mean, we're sitting on a lot of data today. So lending insights for us uh, from a from a just a purely lending uh, perspective is that we gather all the performance data on a monthly basis from credit unions and we're able to help them manage their portfolios better, help them identify ways to manage their risk better on whatever portfolio, whether it's mortgage or auto or credit cards or whatever. Every portfolio has a has a management tool. And then also how to look for opportunities. You know, you can do credit score migration uh, exercises and look at ways to actually offer credit to people whose, whose scores have improved, you know, and, and look for opportunities. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do in portfolio management. And the thing that we really have recognized, too, is that that hasn't been a big focus for credit unions when it comes to education and, and understanding of portfolio management. There's a lot of schools teaching people how to make loans. There isn't a lot of schools that are out there to help them manage portfolios. So we've actually put together a lending portfolio management uh, uh, program. We have actually one starting tomorrow in Dallas, and we do about every quarter we move around the country. And we'll get 30 or so people at these, and I think they, they get a lot of value out of actually looking at how to manage portfolios. Again, looking for managing risk on the downside and looking for opportunities to make more loans. Again, I just learned something else about your product offering. I didn't know that you had the schools. I knew you had the product, but not about the schools. That's something that I'll have to circle back and learn more about. You know, you're doing something else that's really cool. The last time we were together in person was at your innovation lab in Irvine. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Maybe even the why behind it. Why why invest in that? Why why is CU Direct leading that? What, what are you trying to do there? I went to a, uh, a Q's school. You're familiar with Q's, the uh, Credit Union Executive Society. I went to one uh, on their innovation school, which was in MIT one year, Stanford the next. I think they just do Stanford now. And one thing I re- really realized, and the thing that struck me, was that our organizations are all fairly successful today, you know, uh, we're doing okay, but you know, you've, you've seen this before with a lot of companies that just kind of get too, too comfortable with their successes. And what struck me was, uh, a couple of the professors there had this, this concept of every organization, and they had a lot of case studies on this. Every organization has to exploit what they have, but always continue exploring and look for new ways to do business, right? And what is hard to do is you can't have an operational center like, like ours uh, today, where we really have a lot of activity and you really can't separate yourself to really look at how to explore other things. So we really wanted to create an environment where you could look at our enhancements to our roadmap and also new products in a completely different environment in in collaboration with our credit unions too. So we bring them into these uh, discussions as well as fintech companies. We've had several of them in their innovation lab. 
fact, we've had since we opened this in March 22nd, we've had 75 different meetings here with just probably 150 different credit unions have been through, plus uh, lots and lots of fintech companies. All the credit bureaus have been through here for different meetings. And we really have, I think, created a, a much better way to funnel great ideas into a process that will come out with either enhancement to our current products or even some new products. We have some really cool stuff that we're working on today that'll be completely new to our portfolio products. Huh. So you, maybe you can provide our listeners with an example of a credit union that came to you and said, hey, we want to be a thought partner with you and think through a, a problem or an opportunity. Maybe just give us an example of what the lab has experienced so far. Sure. You know, generally speaking, we've had them come in in groups, uh, you know, and and because one of the things when it comes to software development for us is that we really feel we have to develop this on a one-to-many basis. It's not necessarily a one-to-one. It's customized. We know credit, you know, lending is lending, and, you know, we, we just a lot of minds can make something, I think, really good. So we've done a lot of that, but we have had some individual successes too where, uh, well, again, we're kind of in the middle of this right now. We've had Randolph Brooks Credit Union here recently, and they've really gotten behind this concept that we we brought up to them, but they really love it, is the idea of actually uh, digitizing uh, what we call site drafts or the checks that you send in the mail to uh, to your members to get you know pre-approved for a loan and you bring it to a dealer and they got to fill out the check just and it goes through the, it goes through the check processing systems, right? Yes. Which are pretty antiquated today. And they wanted to basically take it and put it on your phone and do it uh, where you could actually uh, digitize it on your phone and figure out a way to actually uh, transact it at the dealer. Hmm. Well, they are on our call platform and they can, you know, we can do that and have the, have those, those pre-approvals that end up on members' phones actually transact at the dealership. And that's what we're, we're working with them on now is to, to try to, uh, to try to do that. Of course, everybody today is, you know, living off their phones, right? So yeah. we, we think that's a good strategy. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about, you know, looking ahead, what could be disruptors coming at us? You know, I know you've been doing some research and reporting out to credit unions, how to think about some kind of big topics. One is autonomous vehicles. The other one is a shared economy. How's that going to impact our auto lending practices? And you've been able to report out to a couple boards and also to some roundtables about it. I think our listeners would be really interested to hear about kind of your thoughts about that. Were there any surprises as you were doing that research? And uh, maybe just share some of that with us. Sure, sure. You know, uh, this is uh, something we've been looking at for the last six or nine months and really trying to get a handle on because it's there's a couple of things here that I think the first thing that I think shouldn't surprise too many people, it's not really if autonomous vehicles are going to show up, it's when. It's not if the shared economy is going to grow, it's, it's how much and when, you know, and, and, the, and probably the first thing that's really going to happen is it's not if electric cars are going to become more of a part of the uh, economy, it's when, you know, and how's that all going to, how's that going to change the lending landscape? And that's the part that we um, are trying to get a handle on. And I do think that, you know, the first one today is about sort of, you know, we see it more in California. You and I see a lot more electric cars probably than people in, you know, Iowa or Texas or places like that, I think, today, sure. just because this is where ground zero for it. But every car company out there has an electric vehicle. The most recent thing I just saw from uh, Mark Roos, who's the head of General Motors product development, he says the future for GM is all electric. That is, that is what he just recently said. So that kind of tells you 
that that's the focus of the of the OEMs. But beyond that, you know, electric cars, it's affordability issue. And what you're seeing is sort of like this Moore's law of electric uh, vehicles is that the capacity for batteries is good. You're going to see a big dip in prices and a much more higher capacity for them to, to go a lot further. I mean, because people worry today. I think my friend has a Prius that goes, it's a, it's a hybrid Prius. And I said, well, how far does it go when you have when you plug it in? He goes, 11 miles. <laughs> this is one of the early ones. So 11 miles is what it has. They have battery powers today to go 500 miles. And again, that, and that we need to get those to scale, and you're going to see a lot more electric vehicles. And that's really the precursor to the autonomous vehicle, too, because the electric vehicles are really going to probably be the autonomous vehicles. Um, and that's, that's something that's going to take a little bit longer. We're seeing that is, you know, that's a George Jetson kind of a, kind of a world, but what you're seeing it today, you know, uh, Waymo has cars that have been on the road for millions of miles, not just a few thousand miles, but millions of miles that they've been driving around California. You may not even know it, but they are, may, might be right behind you, you know, that, that there's somebody <laughs> in, a, in a, or there's a car that doesn't have anybody in it. But those cars are going to take a long time to get to market. I mean, those, I think you're going to see between now and probably 2025, a big ramp up in electric vehicles where they might get to, you know, today they're about 1% of all the cars on the road. Uh, they might get to maybe 10 to 20% by 2025, which is a pretty big increase and, and really escalate from there. But on the shared or in the uh, autonomous vehicles, I think they're going to take much longer time to get to really scale. I, there's a lot of companies playing with them today. There's a lot of investment in it. It is obviously what I think you and I would love to have when we retire, right? Is a mm. it's an autonomous vehicle to take us all over the place. Great. But there is an <laughs> there is an affordability issue with this. There is a regulatory issue with this. There is a uh, a concern. I think Waymo just launched a big uh, Waymo's the again the Google company that does the self driving cars. They just launched a big safety uh, promotion that they're doing where they're they're claiming how safe these cars are because a big concern about that. Uh, and the reality is, is that they're safe. It's the people around them that aren't, you know, yeah. you know, but, uh, but so it's going to take a while. I think it's going to take probably 2035 or 40 to really to see those get to scale, but that's going to change the landscape for us on how we make loans. Yeah. And I think that's something we all got to be recognizing that it's not probably just going to be the GMs and Chrysler's making these. It's going to be the Waymo's and the Ubers and these companies that we don't necessarily know how they're even going to sell them today. To finance it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you brought up something else too. I remember at the roundtable saying, hey, "You know what? That is right. That is going to be part of the adoption problem of autonomous vehicles is the infrastructure that needs to support around it, right? Like, how does DMV think about this? And are our roads really ready for cars to read what's in front of them? And if it runs on the internet, is the internet everywhere? You know, when I started thinking exactly. about all those layers of things that have to come together." Um, there's there's yeah. some huge infrastructure and rugged regulatory things. The, the the one big regulatory one is that in every state today you have to have a steering wheel, a licensed driver, you know, a brake. <laughs> those are actually required, you know, by law. You know, so you 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 know those are things that uh, uh, you know will have to be changed for this to actually get any kind of scale. I know, you know, but it's going to come so fast, Tony. You know, these things we think are far away, and you you uh, cited Moore's law, and when you start thinking about how that compounds, how quickly these things come up on you, 
And this is not the only issue that credit unions are facing as a disruptor, right? So when you start thinking about a portfolio, there's a lot there to be watching and how it's going to impact you. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, McKinsey. They've got some great research out there. And some of their researchers have written a book called The Granularity of Growth. And it does what you're saying about this idea of exploit and explore. They say you can actually go with more granularity into your income statement. And you can see these little economic engines that are running that are helping you survive now. And that some are sundowning. You can see them going away and others are picking up. And that to see that and to think about which velocity that's happening is, is one of our leaders' challenges today to, to kind of do that, you know. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just ride that same horse forever. You know, that that's what uh, Blockbuster tried to do. And again, this book uh, shared a lot of these different companies that didn't explore. They just continue to exploit what they thought was going to be forever. Yeah. Maybe that's a good uh, transition place, Tony, is, uh, you know, on the end of my desk here, I've got a stack of old fashioned books and on my iPad, I've got a bunch of, you know, stuff on my e-reader. You know, what are you reading? Where are you going to keep up on things? I think other folks would be interested to know how does Tony keep up with this? changing world in front of us i I really read uh, a lot of publications today i read i read some books i mean some some that are recommended uh this one that i was mentioning is called lead and disrupt how to solve the innovator's dilemma and it's again it's about this exploit and explore concept for those that might be interested it's it's by uh charles o'reilly and uh, i think it's michael tushman from uh stanford uh lead and disrupt and uh you know I, i i've also got a book called The Product Book, because our, our, our organization is really working on how to become really good at product management. Again, developing software is a very uh, team-driven, complex kind of a thing to, to do, and, and we, we're working on that. But I, every day I read the Wall Street Journal. I read all the automotive news because it's big in the indirect in the auto space. I, I've always told credit unions that they should all read the auto, automotive news if you're making auto loans because – Automotive news tells you what's going on in the automotive industry on the on the assets you're going to be making loans on. So that's a that's a big one. And then of course all the, the trade publications that I'm sure you read too are, are a big part of um, what I'm I'm always uh, uh, you know making sure at least I skim through to see if there's any nuggets there. So you're talking a little bit how you sharpen your saw with reading and thinking about things. If you're talking to young leaders in your organization or in our industry, what would you say about those who want to? Move into leadership, you know, lead others more than just managing the business from a technical standpoint. Do you have advice for folks about how to think about that journey? Sure, I, I uh, you know, I tell my daughters all the time, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be intelligent, uh, but you also have to have a personality, right? Yeah. And, and the number one thing, though, is uh, I think in this world today is that everybody needs to kind of show up as a problem solver, and and how to how to make your organization better. I think that's the, those are the people that rise up are ones that really have both the interpersonal skills and the ability to really solve problems and lead uh, teams on how to solve problems are, are the key today. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's really to, hard to say that you're going to get ahead getting on the assembly line of, of an organization. It's really important to come in with the critical thinking approach to things and, you know, it's amazing, you know, the fact that I forget the guy that said this back in the 19, early 1900s, that all anything that's ever needed to be invented is done. Right. That, you know, you've probably heard that story before. And yes. the fact is, is that we're seeing every day, you know, just these little inventions that make your life that much, that much easier, give you that much more free time. Right. 
And uh, but that's the world we're in. That's how that that's that creates value. So, so you probably uh, in, in your leadership development um, have, have have looked at others who you admired and said, you know what? Now that's somebody I can follow. I can try to emulate. I can be inspired by. And so, is there anybody like that in our industry or other folks? Uh, you know, in, in other parts of industry that you watch and you know, it's kind of like mentors almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I through the years I've always uh, looked for the the ones that are you know the big the big players in, in whatever uh, organization I'm, I'm in and uh, and you know since I've been in Credians for so long I've been able to go to which you and I were just at the summer roundtable meeting uh, and I've been going for many many years and uh, so I've been able to see the uh, the Ed Callahans and the Rudy Hallings, even the Bill Brockstermans back when I first started the league was there. So they were always inspirational. The, the guy probably the, the most inspirational to me has been, uh, he just passed away last year is Dick Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was an incredible leader and uh, just how he approached, uh, uh, you know, the personalization of, you know, cause again, as much as everything's turned into so high tech these days, he was a very, you know, it's still a people world, right? It's a people business. And, and I loved how he encouraged you. I've got so many notes that, uh, and you might have some too. He was a great note writer, Dick Johnson was. He'd send you a note saying, hey, I really think you did a great job at this. And, you know, and just encourage you, you know. And and, and he, I didn't even work for Dick Johnson at the time. You know, I mean, just do this kind of thing. So it was a, uh, it, that was always inspiring. And again, I have, a, I've had a great board of directors over the years and, you know, CEOs of, of very successful credians and they've always been inspiring to me. Uh, on the outside, it's probably, um, people like, uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, uh, just all the things that they've been able to accomplish. And even Steve Jobs, I mean, he probably wasn't the best. He was a great in, in, innovator, but I'm not sure he was the great, greatest, uh, guy to work for from what it sounds like from if you read yeah <laughs> read up on him but uh that was inspiring he was certainly there pushing the envelope i mean you have to admire how he saw the world you know very early differently than everybody else did it's like how did he get that vantage point you know to see there he did he yeah. did you know the biggest thing that i i've always said that i think he invented that people he doesn't get enough credit for which is really the whole world if you remember he came out in the day when um blackberries were big and today, you would not think of making a phone without touchscreen, and that or anything today, iPads, all that, the touchscreen stuff, and and, uh, and and putting it into little apps where it's real easy to get to is was really, I think, the most amazing thing that has made my life a whole lot easier. But we couldn't even do the screens for a while there. Remember that when you're moving from the absolutely, uh, yeah. From, from, blackberry to the screen but now you wouldn't think of ever going back you know now i watch my grandkids walk up the tvs and thinking they all should be smart right you should swipe anything <laughs> that's got glass on it it should move for you and, and it'd be yeah, that intuitive yeah, yeah so it's, it's interesting how quickly that whole world has changed you know in, in leadership too we often talk about you know, the pieces of it that are inspirational and and of course that's real important that's powerful stuff but probably you know Tony, the stuff that has informed my career most is things are failures, right? Things where I've met challenges and worked through them is when I really kind of improved my executive timber. You know, I, I learned the most from from those kind of challenges. I don't know if you've had any that you'd like to share with our audience, kind of what the takeaway was. What did you learn from that? Do you have anything yeah. that's kind of in that lane? Well, I kind of got a, I got a funny one that you might get a kick out of. And, and I think it's just it comes back to the, the concept, I think, for, for everybody that, you know, you just don't give up. And. 
when I went to the University of Wisconsin, I, I went there when I was 19. I'd taken a, not really a year off, but I went to a junior college and uh, I had no money. So I started a carpet cleaning business. And, you know, this is like, you know, 19 year old kid. Uh, I had worked for a carpet cleaning guy when I was 17, and I thought this is a pretty easy thing to do. So I went and bought some used equipment, cost me 100 bucks, got some cards made up, called it National Cleaning System, <laughs> and then started. Back then, you could actually make phone calls to people and 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 you know say I you know I got a one room special for 29.95. By the way, that was my special for the whole time. Uh, it never changed. And uh, but my very first customer, you know, I get this this little company off the ground. I had no money. I had to get this thing going. And I, I go to this customer out in, it was in Madison, Wisconsin, out in the suburbs. And uh, I brought all my equipment in the house. I had a little beat-up car that I had had uh, equipment in. And I had forgotten part of the equipment. It was inside their house. And I had to. I said, hey, I, I forgot something, so I got to run back home and get it. I went all the way home, came back, and all my equipment, my very first customer, was sitting outside these people's house. And it was... Uh, it was just devastating for me. And it had a note on it. It said, you know, we looked you up in the Better Business Bureau. You're not, I mean, I literally just had these cards printed up and with my home phone put, put on it. I didn't really register or anything. Uh, and it called it National Cleaning Systems. Nobody's heard of you. you know? <laughs> well, they put all the equipment outside. I knock on the door and I said, you know, listen, you know, I'm a college kid. I can, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just starting the business. If you let me, you do not have to pay me. If you don't like what you, what I do for you, I'm here already. We let me do it. They did. I they paid me, and uh, you know I did about. Well, I, I actually had people working for me. I had about two thousand uh, houses around Madison, Wisconsin. By the time I was out of college and sold the company to another guy put himself in college, I actually became a Wells Fargo employee. This guy did, yeah. by the way. But anyway, that that. That just, you know, one of many times in my career where it's just, you know, you, you don't take the first no. You got to, there's always going to be another opportunity. Be patient, you know, and that's a big thing too in the CU Direct world, you know, and in, in indirect lending. It took me years to get, you know, even schools first to get Rudy Hanley to agree to do this, the indirect lending thing, they, which he did before he was quite tired, by the way. <laughs> and you just got to be patient with, uh, with, you know, if you know you got something that's, that's valuable, you know it's it can work and it doesn't have to work the same way for everybody. But if you notice you got something that, that can work for them and you can provide the service and the value proposition, you're going to finally get them. And we've done that market after market too at uh, CU Direct. So it's really that perseverance I think is a big thing for anybody. What a huge lesson. And, and I would agree with you. I mean, you know, the person who stays at it, you know, many times is the one who endures and, and rises to a position like you and has the accomplishments, uh, that you're enjoying and that others get to, to share too, you know, and, and the great team that you've built there at CU Direct. So yeah, just, just, just not quitting. Staying with it is, is huge. And so now there's the third thing that you and I share. I had a business called moving mowers and <laughs> that's the way I used to hustle and, and make a little money. And I think that's important for you to somewhere in your leadership code or experience is hustle. Learn to hustle a little it bit. Is, it's okay. It is. It's a, it, it is. You know, you, you know, I think some of our, you know, I don't know about your kids, but mine are, you know, they're, they're pretty spoiled. I mean, they're pretty, you know, they have a lot of advantages that, that I did not have. And uh, I worry about the fact that they're not that hungry today. Mm. And that is a big worry. I think just not for my kids, but for a lot of people's kids today is that they, they don't have the same real drive to have to do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, because if I didn't get that person to open that door back up, 
I wouldn't have put myself in college probably because <laughs> I would have been devastated to, to uh, you know, uh, this thing's not going to work. Yeah. So I mean, work hard, go hard. This is all great. But there is limits to energy. And I'm just wondering, how do you recharge the batteries? You know, what do you do for recreation and uh, get yourself fired up again to come back and make all good things happen? I, I do try to keep a balance, uh, both, uh, you know, do a little working out, obviously spend a lot of time with the family. I, uh, I like to, I like to mountain bike and golf, uh, or my things. Uh, and also just to, you know, vacation once in a while. I didn't, I didn't take vacations. It seemed like two for the first 20 years, probably in my career. And, uh, and today, uh, I think I do make those more important today and, and especially the family part of it, you know, that's huge. So, well, you know, in closing, Tony, Hey, thank you for sharing time with us today. You know, I know you're a busy executive and but I can tell you, because I hear from folks who give us feedback on the show, how important this is, particularly for our emerging leaders, just to hear from successful leaders like you about, you know, what you're working on, how you think about things, how you think about leadership. And so it's just extremely valuable. And just want to say, hey, thank you very much. Thank you, John. Appreciate the time to do it. Okay. Well, to all of our listeners, bye for now. And we'll have another episode for you next month. Thank you for listening to this episode of the BigCast C-Suite with John Janclays. To learn more or connect with John and the CEO Corner, please visit theceocorner.com. And we always welcome you to join in on our conversation. You can connect with the BigCast Network directly by tweeting us at BigFintech, emailing us at info at big-fintech.com, or visiting our website at bigfintechmedia.com.